Welcome to Season 2 of Radio Her, a weekly career podcast presented by the Women in Business Association at the University of Toronto Scarborough. Hello, my name is Rani Giovanni and I'm a fourth year student pursuing a major in Population Health Co-op and a double minor in Psychology and Economics at the University of Toronto Scarborough. I am the co-president at the Women in Business Association and a co-host of our podcast. Hi, my name is Maestra Zahir, and I am a second-year student in the Co-op Management and Finance Program at the University of Toronto Scarborough. I'm also the Director of Events for the Women in Business Association and the co-host for this episode. Joining us today is Sabrina Finelli. She graduated from UTSC with a Bachelor of Business Administration in Finance. Sabrina completed her co-op work terms at BMO, and after graduating, she was part of BMO's Global Asset Management Rotational Program, where she got to experience different roles. She's currently a National Accounts Associate at BMO. Sabrina, you have been a role model to all of us, given your efforts in founding and establishing WIBA and providing women with skills enhancement and professional development opportunities. Many students can be inspired by you to give back to the UTSC community. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we are honored to have you as our first guest for season two of Radio Her. Thanks, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm, uh, I'm so excited to have the chance to get back and do something with Weba again. Before we dive into the question, Sabrina, we wanted to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself. What is one word you would use to describe yourself and why? For sure. Well, thank you for the introduction as well. I feel like you covered a lot. Um, I describe myself as driven. And in terms of why I get stuff done, will put a lot on my plate. Um, always find a way to get it done, get it done good, get it done quick. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my word of choice. Thank you. Let's dive into the questions we have for you today. The first part of questions are focused around your undergrad experience. The first few questions I have for you here are focused around your program and your co-op experiences. Why did you choose to specialize in finance? Was it a result of taking certain courses, interacting with professors, or did you always know? I'm one of the lucky few to say that I've always kind of known. I know that's often not the case, um, but I felt going into university that I was interested in finance. And as I continued to take the courses, as I progressed through the years, it only continued to reinforce that that interest. And same with uh, having my co-op terms at the bank. It just continued to reinforce that interest. But that being said, certainly the professors and the co-op staff were all very supportive in, you know, what route do you want to take? Uh, and helping sort of figure that out. It's nice that you knew what you wanted to do when entering university and were able to develop a stronger interest in finance as you were taking your courses and through the co-op program. Personally, the co-op program has helped solidify my career interest. For students who are not sure what they want to do or are still taking the time to think, I agree that talking to your professor or doing a co-op internship and really getting that real-life experience will help you better understand your interests. What were some of your day-to-day responsibilities as a co-op student at BMO, and what was the work culture like? I did four co-ops. Uh, one was technically an internship, 
They were all within the anti-money laundering or AML areas of Bank of Montreal. So each position was slightly different than, than the previous. Um, but overall, some of the things that I could be expected to do day to day was managing projects. So uh, there's a new initiative, managing that from start to end and everything in between, which could sometimes entail training teams, testing, uh, like testing how it would be implemented, sort of mapping all that out, um, as well as conducting analysis and presenting findings to senior leaders. So definitely some presentation and communication skills being used there. Um, and then also finding efficiencies, implementing them, things of that nature. And, and of course, can't forget, there was definitely routine work, such as like monthly or quarterly reporting that would occur. Um, and overall, the, the culture there, I thought it was excellent. There was a good mix of other interns in the area versus full-time staff. So there's lots of people you can learn from and connect with uh, that are relatable. So overall, really liked the culture. That was definitely one of the reasons that I was so interested in continuing to return to BMO uh, time over time. Thank you so much for sharing. This would be helpful for students interested in pursuing co-op or internships in anti-money laundering at BMO. It's also nice to see how you've been able to grow professionally through these experiences and learn new skills. You received the Co-op Student of the Year Award from the university, as well as ranked second on the national level for Co-op Student of the Year from the Cooperative Education and Work Integrated Learning. How would you advise students to make the most out of their co-op workshops or internships? Definitely. I would say main piece of advice is treat it like it's a full-time role for you or act like an owner is a, is a common saying. So if you look at your work and you, if you put yourself in say the owner's shoes or the manager's shoes, that level of pride and quality that you would want your work to be, you should really implement that for all things that you do. So really building up that reputation for yourself that everything you touch is turns out good. You know, everything you touch turns to gold in the sense that you took pride in your work, you you worked hard, you did a good job, um, all those sorts of things. You want to have that mindset for everything you approach in a co-op. Definitely don't just look at it as, oh, it's just a co-op. It doesn't really matter. That's definitely not a good approach to take. Um, I would highly encourage you to look at it as this is my full-time role. I'm no different than the people here. Yes, I'm, you know, I'm learning more. I'm not as experienced, but uh, treat it the same as if it was a full-time role. That's really helpful advice for our students. I definitely agree that you have to put in the hard work to fulfill your responsibilities so that you're able to succeed and get the most out of your experience. My next few questions here are around leadership and your experiences in establishing WIBA. You've contributed so much to the school community by founding WIBA. What was your vision and how was the process of establishing the club? Well, firstly, thank you for, for the kind words and I'm so glad to, uh, to see where you guys have taken it now. And, um, you know, just a comment to say that each year, I'm always so impressed with what the WIBA team does and the new initiatives launched, this podcast being one of them. So I really love seeing what the team is up to, and I think you guys are doing a really excellent job. Um, as for the starting vision, really, there, the intent was for the club to be a resource for women in the business area. 
because at the time there was no dedicated network established for this, at least within uh, UTSC specifically. And there was quite a lot of separation by clubs in terms of field of business. So, you know, accounting was separate from marketing, which was separate from finance, et cetera. So WIVA was meant to be a club that encompassed, uh, encompassed any business field with the common theme of supporting women in achieving their business aspirations. So that, that was the founding vision. And I mean, definitely got, I got a lot of inspiration from external organizations such as Women in Capital Markets, which I used to, well, I still do. I attended a lot of their events and I'm a member. Um, so that was one of the inspirations as well behind it. Now, in terms of the process for starting it, uh, some of the nitty gritty details definitely escape my mind now. But, you know, working very closely with the co-op office was was a primary feature. So working with the co-op and management office uh, staff, also gauging the student uh, population, like I remember doing lots of surveys to gather what's of interest, also working with professors to help promote it, uh, particularly as a new club, it's a little bit harder to establish, establish your presence. Um, but then also with that collaboration with other clubs. So speaking with other presidents or other co uh, other founders of clubs to say, what was your experience like? Here's my thoughts. What do you think? Um, all that sort of stuff. And like definitely within that process, there was more formal uh, steps such as creating a business plan. So laying out what are our objectives? What are the goals we have in the short term, long term, medium term, et cetera? Uh, how are we going to do it? Operating rules, all those sorts of things did need to be thought out. Um, so yeah, definitely would encourage anyone who's interested in starting a club though to do it. It is doable um, and it's definitely very rewarding and um, it's nice to see the legacy sort of continue on with, uh, with the team now. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences in establishing WUBA. We hope to live up to your vision for the club and strengthen our events and initiatives. This would be really helpful for students who are looking to start a club of their own. Were there any challenges that came with being a founder and president? If so, how did you overcome them? For sure. So, you know, definitely there's, I would say, more uh, rewarding takeaways than challenges of being the founder. But that being said, there is still challenges. I would say the number one challenge is time commitment. So like really it's until your team is sort of established, a lot of the responsibilities sort of fall on you to implement and delegate. And, you know, particularly as a new club where those sort of founding structures aren't really in place yet. So like as an owner, as a founder, Yes, you wear the successes, but you also wear the failures. So uh, it's definitely on you to step in if, if things are going wrong or if, or if whatnot, you kind of have to always be there to pick up the pieces. So in the context of, of the club, this could have been things like for boothing, like if we had a boothing schedule and one of the team members who was supposed to attend had something come up and they had to cancel, uh, it's generally sort of up to the founder at that point to step in and take the slot or attend the event, things like that. So um, definitely a time commitment, also a bit of energy and nerve wracking. You want to see things succeed. It's your name behind it. So there's a little bit of pressure there, whether it's self-imposed or, you know, or not. Um, but overall, a very rewarding, you know, it's nice to be the one to sort of bring people together for a common goal and interest. So all those things um, are outweighed by the benefits. I completely agree with you. 
When starting a new initiative, it does require a lot of time and effort, but the hard work pays off. It's definitely a rewarding experience to see your ideas come to real life. My last question for this section is, job seeking an academic and professional workload can be mentally, physically, and emotionally draining. What hobbies do you have that help you manage stress and relax? Definitely. Um, definitely important to have some hobbies. I'd say for mine, I do like being active. So workout, run, play golf, which is a new one for myself. Um, also like, you know, social activities, seeing friends. But then also I think it's important to have your own kind of personal downtime. So I definitely do some artistic uh, artistic hobbies such as needlework and painting. But um, yeah, definitely have had a few new hobbies crop up throughout the years. It's important to take out time to invest in yourself, and it's nice to hear that you are able to do so. Thank you. This wraps up our questions on your undergrad experiences. Now we'll talk a little bit more about your journey at BMO, starting from your rotational program at the organization to your permanent role at National Accounts. Starting with the first question, how were you able to leverage your co-op experiences to apply to BMO's Global Asset Management Rotational Program? Yeah, I mean, the my co-op experience didn't like explicitly uh, allow me to get my uh, my role in the rotational program, but they definitely, definitely had an impact. So that being, um, I was able to build connections when I was in my internships with people across the bank. So when it came time to apply for this rotational uh, program, I had previous contacts that worked in the area of global asset management or GAM. So they could tell me what the area was like, what to expect. Um, certainly they didn't help with the, like the actual recruitment process, but even just getting an understanding of what the area does was really valuable. And then also uh, co-op provided a professional experience to be able to not only develop my skills in, but also evidence my skills. So when, you know, when an interviewer is asking for examples, I had professional experiences I could refer to, which was incredibly valuable. And then one last thing I'll mention is since I was part of BMO, before with my co-ops, uh, I was on the HR or like campus recruitment distribution list for notices of upcoming uh, recent graduate roles. So that's actually how I found out about my job um, the, or the rotational program rather. So very beneficial I found to do the co-op and would definitely say it played a positive impact on me um, joining the rotational program. Thank you so much for your answer. I can definitely resonate to what you said as someone in the co-op program myself. I really appreciate how much exclusive access co-op students get to job postings and how they develop those meaningful connections as they complete more and more work terms. Moving on to our second question. Uh, we know that you were a part of the program for two years. So could you tell us a little bit more about the roles you experienced throughout the rotational program? How long was each rotation and how many rotations were there in over the two years? Yes, absolutely. So my rotational program, again, was called the Global Asset Management Rotational Program. Uh, there are many across the banks and, and different companies, so each is a little bit different. But how mine worked was it's two years. You have two rotations that are six months 
And then one rotation that's three months followed by a rotation that's nine months. Um, so four roles in total. And in terms of the roles that I experienced, it's pretty much like one role per main area of the department GAM. Um, so I worked in, my first one was uh, the, what we'd call the distribution or sales side. So essentially sales of mutual funds to investment advisors or to institutional clients. Secondly was our ETF portfolio management desk. So they essentially create and manage all of BMO's exchange traded fund um, ETF products, then followed by global strategic initiatives. So like the title says, uh, dealing with all things strategic initiatives on a global basis, since we do have offices uh, in London, in, in Asia, like all over the world. Um, and then lastly was on the national accounts team. So it is a function of sales and essentially it's um, sort of like client partnerships with investment dealer head offices. Um, so our form of sales isn't necessarily direct sales where you'd have a dollar value attached all the time. There's a lot of partnership with external firms in terms of what we are looking to accomplish. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to hear about your experience with the rotational program. This insight will be extremely helpful for students who are intrigued by such rotational programs as they now have an overview of how the rotational program runs. Moving on to our third question. How do you think that the GAM rotational program has been beneficial for your professional development? Which rotation did you enjoy the most and now hope to pursue as a career? Definitely. So um, highly recommend rotational programs for anyone when they graduate. It's definitely, uh, or rather it's, it's more so thing targeted for fourth year students who are going to be graduating soon. But I would say there's lots of benefits. Uh, some of the primary ones are that you get a firsthand understanding of the main business groups. So since you're working there, you, you know, you really dive in. Um, and with that, then you get to know the people and who to go to for what. So this is really valuable for wherever you land that then you have all these connections established. People know who you are, you know who people are, um, and you know what areas do what. So that I would say is incredibly valuable for building your sort of um, connections and, and relationships in the department. Um, also, there's the benefit of then you kind of get a little bit of a trial and error in each area in terms of do you like this? Do you not? Which is most suited for you in terms of your skills and interests? So lots of lots of really good features about a rotational program. Um, as for my like favorite rotation or what I hope to do next, I did accept uh, a position with the national accounts team. So that was my fourth rotation. So I'm now there in a permanent capacity. So I'm officially out of the rotational program. So I guess you could say that um, has definitely been a favorite for me since I've I've now ended up there, which I'm very happy to be there. So yeah, that's a little bit about the, uh, the rotational program. Happy to you know, give more insights on what it looks like too. I definitely agree with how useful the rotational program is to get a taste of each field in the company and really be able to evaluate and reflect which role suits you best. Definitely. Moving on to our fourth question, what are some day-to-day -day responsibilities as an associate in national accounts? 
Has the work culture changed from when you were a co-op student? If yes, then how? Okay. Well, first I'll mention about the work culture. So I would say, you know, going back to my earlier point about the mindset um, and, you know, kind of always wanting to take pride in your work and using that ownership mindset, I would say the culture has not changed in that set, in that sense, because that's been my mindset all along. Um, however, is there cultural differences between the departments, like between anti-money laundering and, and GAM, which is a division of wealth management? There, I would say yes. Um, but, you know, that would be the same amongst switching any department. Um, but in a positive manner, like I definitely like it. It's it's just different in a client facing area versus uh, I think it'd be called a one of the corporate areas, uh, which was what AML was. Now, in terms of my day to day responsibilities. So as I mentioned, national accounts, our clients are head office staff of other investment dealers. So, for instance, we're BMO. Uh, external investment dealers would be the likes of, say, um, there's TD, there's Scotia McLeod, there's Sun Life, there's Edward Jones, there's Aligned Capital, et cetera. The list goes on. There's, I believe, over 200 investment dealers in Canada. So our clients are these, uh, these investment dealers and their head office staff that work there. And essentially what the day looks like is prospecting with clients. So trying to meet new clients, develop a relationship with them, um, servicing existing clients. So this could be they ask us for, say, they're interested in a new product. Um, so a new product being either a BMO mutual fund or exchange traded fund that they want to offer for sale at their firm. So like, for instance, Scotia McLeod financial advisors are allowed to sell BMO mutual funds and BMO ETFs so long as their head office approves it. So we would work with their head office to have that approved. So anyways, um, the head office may request things like meetings with our portfolio managers, requests for proposals or requests for information to evaluate our products and our services that we're able to provide, um, keeping clients informed of changes uh, or proactively advising of different ideas for products or um, different partnerships that we can do, things of that nature. And then also there is definitely an internal strategy piece where we work on projects uh, that are more sort of sort of internal focus for efficiencies or just, you know, helping drive sales, any of those sorts of things um, is kind of what my day would look like um, on a general basis. Thank you so much for the insight into what a day at work looks like for you. I'm sure those in our audience with an interest in national accounts would get a great idea of how their day-to-day -day responsibilities might look like. Um, the next question, what are some skills and abilities and personal attributes that are essential in your role and overall in the finance industry? Boy, there's definitely a lot. Um, <laughs> but I would say for, for my role, since it is a client facing role, uh, big skill that is um, quite critical is relationship management with both clients and colleagues. So that would be, you know, even just something as simple as being personable, but also more of the skills such as communication, both written and verbally, um, all those things are quite important. And then, of course, because we are an investment related area, understanding of the investment world, um, naturally some, you know, some understanding of mathematical terms and, and functions and whatnot, not excessively, but 
all those sorts of things are important. And then, of course, the soft skills of, you know, do you have the ability to learn quickly? And, you know, are you driven? Are you motivated? All those sorts of sorts of things. But certainly if you're more looking at the portfolio management side of asset management, so my second rotation, for instance, on the ETF portfolio management desk, that would be much more quantitative heavy, where you definitely need an understanding, strong understanding of statistics, finance, um, all those sorts of concepts would come much more into play there. That was really helpful to learn. As a finance student myself, I was always really curious about what are some marketable skills for someone with a finance major. So I'm sure our audience would find that super helpful as well. Moving on to the next question. We know that you keep up with the industry trends and are always learning, which is a very um, useful skill to have. So we would love to hear more about how you keep up with industry trends. Absolutely. I mean, you certainly get a lot just from conversations with others in the industry. So if you have friends or colleagues or even going to external events, such as I mentioned earlier, women in capital markets, like they host sort of industry events. So any of those things are excellent to keep on top. Um, Day to day, I personally subscribe to like, I think it's over 12 newsletters um, that I receive via email. So that kind of just gives you the little quick overview. And I mean, you can click into things as as interested. So to name a few, uh, I think I have three or four different Bloomberg newsletters that I'm on, one from Financial Post. There's one called Grit Capital. Um, there's a few that are sort of internal to the banks. So like lots of different economic reports that come out of BMO Capital Markets and ETF sort of market statistics that come from all the different, uh, all the six main banks of Canada. So those are more if you're in the industry, you can have access. But anyways, lots of industry newsletters. I really like those for staying up to date and would highly recommend, you know, finding one that you like and subscribing. Thank you so much for sharing those tips. I have so much respect for how you keep up to date with the trends in the industry. Learning is definitely a lifelong process. The more you learn, the more woke you are. Yep. Definitely agree. Yeah. Uh, Moving on to the very last question of part two. We would like to congratulate you on completing level one of the CFA. Given that it's super hard and it must have taken so much hard work to get where you are. So a big congratulations from the entirety of the WIBA team. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate it. Um, We would love to know a little bit more about the application process and if you have any advice for how students could prepare and and whether it was especially challenging for you to prepare as you are working at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, would definitely encourage anyone who's interested to look into it, but I would also say keep your sights on the Canadian Securities course or the CSC, which is offered by the Canadian Securities Institute to look into that as well, because um, CFA is definitely a big commitment. So, um, you know, it's possible if you want to commit yourself to that, but similar to going to university, like to just finish one year out of the four-year degree doesn't really mean much, you know, you, you kind of, it's all or nothing sort of. So it's very similar with the CFA. Uh, so if you're kind of worried thinking, oh, you might 
lose interest throughout the years because it generally will take three to four years to complete. I would suggest looking at the CSC uh, as a as a equally good option for depending on what role you're interested, of course. As for like, was it challenging? Um, I would say it's definitely challenging. It needs quite a lot of time and energy, like to put it into perspective. I do work full time. I'm a girl guide leader. Um, I lead a unit of 22 girls and a team of there's four of us. So like I do keep busy in my spare time. So I found for the CFA to fit that in, in addition to all those other hobbies uh, I enjoy doing. Um, I do it. I study before work. So I actually wake up like literally at the crack of dawn, 445, my alarm goes off, study for two hours, do the day of work. Sometimes I'll study in the evening too. So it is a sacrifice, but that being said, it is looked very highly upon in the industry. Um, it's a testament to your education and commitment and uh, interest. So lots of benefits. In terms of if you're looking to do it and advice for preparing, I would say check out the CFA website. They have lots of sort of like mock materials to give you an idea of what the content is like, uh, the timing in terms of like the time requirement for how much studying you would need to do. I think they have example questions. So I would say definitely check out the CFA website and talk to people who've done it. Um, I'm sure you'll come across lots of people as you network and, and go through school who have completed the CFA or in the process of it. Reach out to them, ask them what their experience is like, um, and really just, uh, yeah, look into it, I would say. Thank you so much for sharing all those wonderful tips on preparing for the CFA. I'm amused by how, how you start the day so early and manage time for all your responsibilities. And lastly, I would like to thank you so much for sharing an alternative for the CFA, that being the CSC. I'm sure a lot of our audience had not known about it. And that would sum up our questions about your professional journey at BMO. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sabrina, for sharing your experiences working in the finance industry. We have just a few questions left to wrap up the episode. What advice would you give to your first year self? Okay, excellent. Um, I would say I have three really quick points. One would be if reaching out to people on LinkedIn, add a message. Um, you'll often hear there's like nothing worse than receiving a request from someone you don't know who they are. So add a message, even if it's someone you don't know, give a customized message. Two, I would say um, definitely be curious about other people. So, you know, make sure you're asking a lot about others, even if that means that you don't really get the spotlight on yourself too much. Ask about others. Um, it's a sure way to get people thinking that you're very interested in them, and um, which obviously you would be, but it, it's a good move. And then uh, third, and like what I would say was kind of most important to myself would be don't be shy about your goals. So the more people that know your goals, the more motivated you are to achieve them and the more they can help you with what's important. So just to give an example of that, um, I, Philip Brown, I had, had my co-op evaluation uh, with him at one point in like second or third year. And I would said to him, you know, I, I want to win the student of the year award. How do I do it? So, and that's kind of what really kicked off the process for me. So telling others of your goals, you know, there's really no downside in that. It'll give you motivation and it'll help others help you because generally people do want to help. They just don't know how. So, you know, 
be be transparent with your goals is my main piece of advice, I'd say. Thank you. This would be really helpful for our listeners. Not everyone is going to approach you and ask you what support you need. You will have to be able to step out of your comfort zone and connect with like-minded people. How did you define success when first entering university? Has it changed over these years? What is your proudest accomplishment in your career? For sure. So I'd say, you know, I definitely agree. Success kind of changes as you move throughout life. I would say going into university, it probably looked more like uh, what my, what were my grades. And then as I moved through the years, particularly through the co-op program, it's, you know, did you obtain a co-op role? Um, and, you know, did you get any awards? Like, did you get the work term recognition award or things like that? You know, now going into the work world, um, grades don't really come into, I mean, obviously I want to pass the CFA, but we don't even get a grade for it. So that's not really, it's not the same uh, goal anymore. Sometimes now you probably hear people say working full-time goals are based on say roles and salary. Um, I think it goes beyond that. Like, so for example, a proud uh, accomplishment in my career recently was as I was rounding out the rotation, um, it's sort of up to the rotational like candidate, like so myself in that instance to secure where you're going to end up afterwards in a permanent role. So I would say I was very proud of the fact that I had worked really hard in all my other areas. Um, I, you know, I had a fair, I had a fair pick of where I wanted to land because of that. Um, because of my performance in the other areas. So more of like a qualitative accomplishment, but certainly an accomplishment. Um, and even now things just in terms of recognition and relationship building. So for instance, when uh, when it was announced that I started in this new position as associate, uh, the emails I received of people congratulating me. So hearing like, oh, you know, you, you work so hard, you deserve this, blah, blah, blah. Those sorts of accomplishments of, I guess, praise, but, you know, just hearing that feedback even um, is is a nice accomplishment and is sometimes kind of like a definition of success instead of those monetary or quantitative um, metrics. I definitely agree. Success can mean much more than your GPA or salary. What do you look forward to accomplishing and learning in the next few years of your professional career? Absolutely. Boy, it's a long list, but um, main ones are definitely uh, developing my client base for my role. So that's a main one. Um, Accomplishing the CFA. I'm going on to level two in November, so making my way through it. But I look forward to when I've completed it uh, in, in, in its entirety. As well, I'd say developing a deeper knowledge of all of the most mutual fund and ETF products, which is not necessarily an easy feat. There's over 130 mutual funds and 140 exchange traded funds. So lots to learn there. Um, and then lastly, I'd say giving back. Like, So I mentioned I'm involved with Girl Guides, but I've also continued to do things with uh, professional development, such as I was a mentor in the Women in Capital Markets program as well as the the WIBA program uh, last year in 2020, I think it was, uh, doing student recruitment events, things like that. So I, I do enjoy giving back and sort of connecting with um, students because I know what it was like in that position. So lots to look forward to and uh, lots to still accomplish. 
Thank you so much, Sabrina. On behalf of the entire WIBA team, we wish you all the best in your endeavors. Well, thank you, and I look forward to seeing uh, what you guys do with the club and the direction it goes. I have no doubt it'll be excellent, and I look forward to seeing. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. If you find this episode and our podcast motivating and inspiring, feel free to share it with a friend or share it on your Instagram stories. This would be helpful in getting us more listeners. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on our social media platforms, which are linked in the show notes, to stay updated on our upcoming episodes. See you next week on another episode of Radio Heart.